0: Alhamdulillah, Nahmedu, and Estainu, and Estaghfiro. When I would be lahim in Shururi and Fusina, Women say ati Armalina, May Yahdihilahu Fella Mudilla, Wame Yudlil Fella Hadiella, Washadu lahilaha illa, Wachda Hula anna Washadu and Muhammad and Abduhu or Rasulu. Yea, you had Ladina Amenutakulaha haka to Katihi, Walata Mutunna illa, and to Muslimun. يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منه رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد as we know the opportunity of a lifetime is a matter of a few days away just a few weeks away and of course this is in direct reference to the month of Ramadan and we ask Allah from now to allow us to help us to reach the month of Ramadan Allahumma Ramadan Amni rabbil alamin one of the key concepts that i find myself thinking about and i want to encourage everyone else everyone else here to think about as well is to reflect on the concept and the idea, how can I prepare for Ramadan? Even in little ways, even in small ways. What are some small things that I can do from now in direct connection with the month of Ramadan? Because when we take a step back and we look at literally anything of significance in connection with our dunya, we always prepare for it, as we should. Allah tells us in the Qur'an, وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ dunya Don't forget about your responsibilities in connection with this dunya. Don't forget your portion from this dunya. But even then, look at how Allah words it. Allah didn't even say, remember your dunya. Allah said, don't forget your dunya. So even within that, there's this connotation that if there is anything that's to be forgotten between the dunya and akhirah, it's the dunya. But Allah is saying, don't forget it. You know, keep it in mind but also to keep things in perspective. So when it comes to this life, which Allah literally describes as hayat al-dunya, which literally can be understood as a low life, because the reality of this life, I should say the mirage of this life in comparison to the reality of the next life is extremely, extremely low, is extremely low. It's close but it's also low at the same time. So if you, think of, if you think of a graph, you know, there's that 90 degree angle and then you kind of go from there. The dunya is the bottom left portion of that graph. It's close and it's low. It's the starting point for us, but we don't want it to be the ending point. We don't want it to be the be-all end-all and it's not supposed to be that. So Allah says, dunya." الدُّنْيَ Don't forget your portion from this life. When it comes to preparing, even for things in this life, we have to do our best. And we often do to prepare thoroughly and appropriately. If there's a big exam, we prepare significantly because of the significance of that exam. When it comes to someone's driving test, they're going to prepare. When it comes to a job interview, they're going to prepare. When it comes to whatever it may be, there's more preparation... In connection with it being more significant. So, the more important it is, the more I'm going to prepare. This is human nature. That's what we're supposed to do. What about when it comes to the next life, which is literally forever after? It's the hereafter, and it goes on and on and on, and, and there's no end to it. So, I need to ask myself okay, if I dot the I's and cross the T's in connection with this life, which is very temporary. And mathematically, if you compare anything finite to anything infinite, whatever is finite becomes zero. It becomes zero. So eventually this life, it becomes nothing. But what we hope to do is to prepare for tomorrow so we still end up with something even after this life turns to nothing. What am I doing now to prepare for the next life, for my akhirah, One of the best things I can do is to take advantage of every Ramadan that I come across. And we don't know if we're going to reach the month of Ramadan or not. Just before Jum'ah, a dear friend, he mentioned that his father recently passed away. May Allah forgive him and have mercy on him. This was a matter of a few weeks ago, subhanAllah. The point is, we don't know when our time is going to come. So I need to ask myself now, what am I preparing for tomorrow? What am I preparing for Judgment Day? What am I preparing for when I meet Allah Azza wa Realistically speaking, it's easy for any Muslim to think to themselves, of course I'm in a good situation with Allah, of course I'm going to end up in Jannah, of course I'm going to be protected from any consequences, of course that's going to be my situation. If we have that attitude of kicking our feet up with so much certainty, that is a significant sign of hypocrisy. That is a significant sign of a disease in the heart. When we look at the best generation of Muslims, the generation of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, imagine the impact, the effect, that this one person in the Prophet ﷺ had on so many people. SubhanAllah, you find in the shama'il of Imam al-Tirmidhi that there was a man, this was towards the, all the way at the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ when all these delegations were coming in. and Because a lot of people, they were waiting outside of Hijaz, outside of the region of Mecca and Medina, they were waiting to see what's going to happen with this whole issue between the Muslims and Quraysh. Let's see who ends up winning, basically. Whoever ends up winning, then we're going we're gonna to go with them because it's a sign that God is on their side. That's how a lot of people saw things. You have the conquest of Mecca, and then after that you had a lot of, a lot of people... Becoming Muslim. You have the, the year of delegations towards the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, A lot of people were coming and taking their allegiance with the Prophet ﷺ. So you have one beautiful reference when a man, he came, right? He came to, to basically pledge his allegiance, you could say to the Prophet ﷺ. And he noticed the top button of the, what the Prophet was wearing, of the Prophet shirt, was undone. So for the rest of his life, that was his style. For the rest of his life, he was so impacted from that one meeting with the Prophet in person He was so touched by this incredible person in front of him, for the rest of his life, that became his permanent style. SubhanAllah, from that one meeting with the Prophet, think of the impact the Prophet had on people's hearts How he took this society, this culture that had so many backwards things about it, and pointed the entire society as a whole in the right direction. It is literally miraculous. So when we take a step back and we look at, okay, how did the companions, how did they prepare for the hereafter? How did the tabi'een, the generation after them, how did they prepare for the hereafter? How can we prepare for the hereafter? One of the most lucrative opportunities that we have is to cash in on the opportunity of Ramadan in a way where there's this balanced humility. Because if even Sayyidina Omar did not have this approach of kicking his feet up with a sense of entitlement, for example, he completely avoided that. Think of how the condition of his heart was. The Prophet said, if there was going to be a Prophet after me, it would be Umar. He had no sense of entitlement. So if we start to feel entitled that I'm such an amazing Muslim, I'm completely safe from hypocrisy, through and through I have nothing to worry about ever at all. Of course this has to be in moderation. We shouldn't go and get down on ourselves for like every little thing, but the point is to have a healthy understanding that there's this serious illness that Allah warns us about in the Qur'an. Let me take steps to protect myself from it. How can I protect myself, the spiritual health of myself and my family as best I can from, from this serious disease. قُوْ أَنفُسَكُمْ وَأَهْلِيكُمْ If Sayyidina Omar, when he found out the Prophet ﷺ mentioned some of the names of the Munafiqeen, some of the names of the hypocrites to Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, who because of this became known as the secret keeper of the Prophet ﷺ. Look at how much the Prophet trusted him and the fact that he fulfilled that trust 100% through and through. When Sayyidina Umar finds out, he had no sense of entitlement. He didn't go and think to himself that, you know, the Prophet already told me that I'm guaranteed Jannah. So, of course, there's no way that I'm on that list. It must be these other people. There was this constant sense of the weight of humility, this healthy anchor of remaining centered. He goes to Hudhayfah and he asks him privately, am I on that list? Am I on that list? His approach was, okay, maybe I did some good in the past and maybe the Prophet gave me these glad tidings. What if my state has changed? Maybe if I was continuing on, on you know, in, 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 in the way that I was doing things then, maybe there was something about that that Allah loved and because of that, based on that trajectory, then I'm gonna end up in Jannah. Now, I, I need to make sure You know who goes through and double checks and triple checks their essay, their term paper before they turn it in to really make sure there are no typos? They didn't accidentally put a comma here or forget one there. You know who scrubs their paper the most? The best students. The best students who care the most take the most time to review, to review. What have I prepared? What have I prepared? Am I really ready to turn this in? Let me check it one more time. And doing as an automatic spell check, that's not enough. Because maybe the spell check made a mistake without realizing it. Let me go and manually reread it. Every word, every letter, every punctuation mark, just to make sure. That's a sign of the best of students. Sayyidina Umar, one of the best students of the Prophet, ﷺ, goes to Hadith and he asks him, Am I on that list? Hadith says, No. But look at at the reaction, look at the response. There was no sense of entitlement. There was was no sense of of holier than thou. There was no sense of being on a high horse and looking down on other people. This is not to say that Sayyidina Umar was not tough against the hypocrites. He definitely was. He definitely was. But his primary concern, let me look inside myself. So as we're approaching Ramadan, let me look within myself what 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 am i doing to prepare for it how am i doing in that regard Subhanallah, rabbika rabbil izzati a'ma yasifun wa salamun al mursalin rabbil alamin I want to spend a few moments in the very limited remaining time to, to touch upon the other, the other wing of this beautiful figurative bird that a great scholar in our history Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim he gave this metaphor, he gave this, he gave this image, that the heart of a believer is like a bird. The two wings are hope and fear, and the head of that bird is love for Allah. So there's the need for healthy hope where it motivates me to do good. And there's, there needs to be the presence of healthy fear where it motivates me to avoid evil. But the crux of the matter is, how much do I love Allah? That's the head. Without the head, the wings don't matter. And if one wing is damaged, the other wing can't function properly. So there's a need for there to be this beautiful balance between the two, for there to be this symphony between the two of, of hope and fear, where both are supposed to motivate the believer. If there's too much hope to the point where someone kicks their feet up and they say, I don't have to worry about anything, That's a spiritual illness. We ask Allah to protect us from that. And if someone has too much fear, this one is actually more common, I would say, where someone, they get down on themselves so much that if they make one mistake or another, they think to themselves that I'm such a horrible human being, I'm such a terrible Muslim. How can I even ask Allah for forgiveness? I might as well go and jump in the barbecue pit head first. There's no hope for me. It's imbalanced both ways. And shaitan wants the imbalance either way. He'll take what he can get. He wants to come at us from our good deeds. If we do good, he wants us to have too much hope. And he also wants to come at us from our bad deeds. If we do bad, he wants us to have too much fear to the point where there's no more balance between those wings. But how can I be inspired to do better? How can I be inspired to do more? The main motivating factor is love. So there's the... The, 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 the need to remain humble if someone is doing good There's also the need for upliftment in some, if someone is struggling And the reality is we're all struggling in some way, shape or form Realistically speaking in many ways and shapes and forms It's part of the human condition I'm not saying that as rationalization But I'm just saying so we can put things in perspective As Allah and His Messenger did for us that everyone makes mistakes, but the best among you are those who fix them. Allah loves people who patch things up. Allah loves people who clean up spilled milk. Allah loves people who turn to Him and return to Him and repent to Him often, over and over and over. None of us are above that. And none of us are below that. We have to be right in the middle. <inaudible> there has to be the hope, there has to be the fear in healthy senses. And even the fear is more of a respect, it's more of an awe. Of appreciation and gratitude to Allah that I'm so ashamed to use the blessings that you've given me in ways to disobey you I feel embarrassed to do so and if I do so I fix it right away but option one is to avoid it but what's the head of that bird is love for Allah so as I prepare for Ramadan as I think for Ramadan as I as I plan for Ramadan how am I doing in terms of my spiritual compass if that's calibrated, everything else will fall in line. But if that's out of whack, like the compass on your phone, you may end up praying in the opposite direction for the qibla if the compass is messed up and you go somewhere that you've never been before. Step one, what, what, what does the phone always tell you? Recalibrate your compass. Do that figure eight. Recalibrate that compass. And it's interesting, the figure eight is what? It's a sign for infinity. What are we preparing for? We're preparing for infinity. So I need to recalibrate the compass of my heart in preparation for khalidina fiha abada, hopefully in the right place and not the wrong place. We ask Allah for that gift and for that mercy, We ask Allah for the best of this life and the next. We ask Allah to forgive our mistakes and to accept any good deeds that we've done for his sake. We ask Allah to grant us a healthy balance between hope and fear, but we ask Allah to increase all of us in our love for Him and His Messenger wasallam). We ask Allah to forgive all of our mistakes, the major ones, the minor ones, everything in between. Whatever is between us and Allah, we ask Allah to forgive us, and whatever is between us and other people, we ask Allah to forgive us, and we also need to find ways to get those other people to forgive us, or to somehow creatively patch things up within our capacity, we ask Allah to help us to do so. We ask Allah to make us people of wisdom and knowledge. We ask Allah to make us people of Qur'an. We ask Allah to make us people of compassion, of mercy, of kindness, of generosity. Amin ya rabbal wal ikram rabbana atina min ladunka rahmah wa haelana min amrinarashada. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nasta'firuka minatubu ilayk wa aqmil salat.